When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you ideas and tips for how to live a happier life. This very special episode is dedicated to Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister Elizabeth Kraft, who, never fear, will soon reveal her love language. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, I bet all of our listeners can guess your love language. <laughs> I definitely wear it on my sleeve. Yes, I think if you describe yourself as a gold star junkie, uh, people kind of get the point. So, Elizabeth, this week is episode 80. And as is our custom, every 10th episode is a very special episode where we shake things up in some way. Yes. And for our very special episode, we're tackling the five love languages. And uh, for people who don't know, the five love languages is this enormously successful book by Gary Chapman. It has spent uh, more than 164 weeks, um, which is more than three years, if you can't do math in your head, um, on the New York Times advice list. It sold millions of copies. It's also extremely short <laughs> and, and and a pleasure to read. Yes. And so Gary Chapman is a marriage counselor. He's been a marriage counselor for more than 30 years. And this is a framework that he he built out of his experience working with couples for so long. Um, and it's absolutely true that the book reflects his Christian background. Um, but you do not need to share his religious beliefs Uh, to benefit from the framework. And in a nutshell, what he's arguing with the five love languages is that just as some people can understand you when you speak English and some people can understand you when you speak Chinese, each of us has a love language in which we hear love. And usually it's one primary language and one secondary language. But it's like if you want somebody to make you feel loved, they have to say it in your 
language. Yeah. And it's like his theory is that the reason why so many marriages break up or people are living in unhappy marriages is because they're not speaking each other's love language. So they think they're telling their partner that they love them, but the person isn't hearing it and therefore isn't feeling loved. And then you have this disconnection between people. Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of the key point that he makes that it's not, it's like, it's not enough to say what's in your heart. You know, it's not, um, you have to do it in the way for them. And so he says, um, being sincere is not enough. We must be willing to learn our spouse's primary love language if we are to be effective communicators of love. So you got to do it their way, not your way. Exactly. Now, one of the things I think that like why I really love the framework um, is that it's something that's based on observation. Um, and I definitely thought about uh, Chapman and his framework when I was coming up with my four tendencies framework, because, you know, I don't have a lab. I'm not running. I don't have a two way mirror. <laughs> um, I don't have a control group. But just by observing the people around me, I really did feel like I was able to develop a framework that could really pinpoint patterns and how people thought and acted. And I, I felt like I really did see a pattern emerge just from my observation. And of course, that's what Chapman's doing. He's just like, this is what I see when I talk to people over the years. These are the patterns that emerge. And it turns out, because the book is a huge bestseller, that it really resonates with a lot of people. It really does somehow capture something about the nature of relationships and the nature of love. Yes. And your four tendencies, Gretch, do the same for habits, I must say. So... Um, <laughs> Someday you're going to be as ubiquitous as Gary Chapman on five love languages. <laughs> and everyone's going to have great habits. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Excellent. So, Gretch, why don't we, should we tell everyone what the five languages are? Yes. Yes. So number one is words of affirmation. That's really verbal compliments or words of appreciation. So it's things like, you look great. You're the best husband. You're the best wife. Oh, I so appreciate you taking out the trash. Um, and it's also words of encouragement, you know, maybe telling your spouse, oh, I know you can write that novel you've been wanting to write, or oh, I know you can get that raise that you think you deserve. Um, and that's what makes them feel loved, words of affirmation. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because Chapman points out that like, nagging or pressuring somebody and saying like, well, I'm doing it to encourage you. Like that is not the same thing. This is like when you're really affirming how great someone is and how much you love and appreciate them. Yes. Yeah. Very, very powerful one. Um, and the next one is quality time. And this is when you're giving someone undivided attention. Um, so it's not the same thing as like you're watching TV together, which might be companionable, um, but isn't the same thing as like really giving them your attention. And it's not the same thing as like listening to your sweetheart talk while the TV is on or where you, while you're simultaneously checking your email on your phone. Right. Um, this is like we are really like connecting with each other. It often takes the form of a quality conversation, which is when you really you're sharing thoughts, you're sharing feelings. It's not interrupted. There's a warm feeling to it. You're making eye contact. You're not multitasking. Um, your body language is open. You're not interrupting. Like that's a quality conversation. And then it also can be a quality activity like taking a hike together. Yeah. 
going um, to the ballet, obviously going to dinner would be a good one because you can both do an activity <laughs> and talk. Yeah. So it's that undivided attention. Yeah. And, 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 and Chapman points out that for a quality activity, it's that one of you wants to do and the other one is willing to do it and you're both doing it to be together. So you show that you're willing to do something because your sweetheart enjoys it and you want to be with that person with an enthusiastic spirit. So it's not like, well, we both love skiing because maybe one person loves skiing and one person's like, well, I'll go skiing if you want to go skiing. It's like really being willing to kind of go that extra step to have that activity together. And then the third love language is receiving gifts. Um, These are symbols of love and the symbol that someone is thinking of you and wants to give. So this doesn't have to be something expensive. It's not like a, you know, a diamond bracelet every week. (laughs) It could be a flower, a note, you know, anything um, small or large to tell the person I'm thinking of you. Uh, And I think a lot of times you can spot someone whose love language is gift giving if they themselves are great gift givers, because it means they put thought into gifts. Yeah. And also how much they appreciate gifts, because if someone's like, oh, thanks, and kind of like puts it aside and doesn't treat it um, like with much importance, then that's a sign that that's not their their love language. Mm -hmm. But a person who's like, oh, my gosh, you know, you gave me this plate. I'm going to hang it on the wall immediately or, or, you know, or like they really treasure it. That's a sign that someone really, really values gifts. Yeah, I have a friend who had um, a wrapping closet in her house because she uh. loves wrapping <laughs> gifts and she does really beautiful gift wrapping. Yeah. With, you know, fancy bows and all that. And I bet if I ask her, she'll say gift giving is her love language. Well, it's it's interesting because one of the things, and we're going to talk about this so much later, but like, is that sometimes people are like, well, this love language doesn't come naturally to me. I'm not good at it. So like my, my lover just has to like deal with that. And Chapman's like, you know what? If that's their love language, you got to figure it out. And he he notes that gift giving is one of the easiest love languages to learn, even for a person who says, like, I'm not good at picking gifts or I'm really frugal, so I don't like spending money. Chapman's like, oh, well, you know, gift giving is not hard to learn. So that's <laughs> that's like a little a little tip. So from, take heart. Yes. Take heart. If you if you're partnered with a gift receiver. Um, now the next one is acts of service, and um, the this people who whose this is their love languages they it's it's seeing that someone's doing something for them that is how they they feel love, and um, it has to be the things that that person values. So I feel loved because you're doing this for me, and that makes me feel like you care for me, and you're going out of your way to help me. And it's interesting because sometimes. We don't recognize those as expressions of love. And I, I was thinking about a, my fr- a friend of mine, Michael, who told me that his husband um, is, expresses love through acts of service. And, you know, he says, well, he d- like my parents are coming to visit. And he doesn't say like, oh, I can't wait to see your parents. You know, your parents are so great. He, he doesn't do anything like that. But then he said, you know, he walks by the guest room and he sees that the fresh towels are there. The room's been tidied up. Everything's been made ready for them to welcome them. And so he sees like this is the act of service that is shown the love. And then the last love language is physical touch. And this doesn't have to be romantic physical touch. It can be just holding hands, getting a back rub, um, sitting close to each other while you're watching TV, or even just, you know, touching someone's shoulder when you walk past them. It's just letting them know that you you're there, right? 
And um, one of the points that I think that Chapman makes that's really important to emphasize is that you don't use a language in order to manipulate your sweetheart into doing what you want. <laughs> it's not like it's not like you're trying to like control them, but you right. want to make them feel loved. And it is also true, however, that when people feel loved, they feel more like reciprocating and cooperating and being loving themselves. And this is really this was really something that struck me because one of the things that I really found when I was writing The Happiness Project and Better Than Before is that one of the sad truths about happiness is that the only people that we can, the only person we can change is ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to change other people, but you can't. But the fact is, when we change, a relationship changes. And I think Chapman's saying by by changing the way you express love, then you change the other person's perception of being loved, and that change can lead to changes in them. Not because you're trying to manipulate them, but because you're like meeting their needs in a way that's uh, striking a chord with them. Yeah. And one thing I think um, you can do is just pay attention to what people complain about and what they ask for and what they themselves do. Like we were saying, a good gift giver probably is would like to get gifts. Yeah. Um, Those are clues to what their love language is. So if they are saying, well, I'm not happy because we never spend any time together. Well, then, you know, oh, this person quality time is their love language and you can make an effort to have quality time. You know, they're not just complaining, you know, for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, Chapman, he, he, he says, like, criticism is an ineffective way of pleading for love. If we understand that, it may help us to process criticism in a more productive manner. So, again, like, listen to what the person's demanding of you or complaining about. And that might be tell you, give you a clue as to what their what their language is. Um, and over and over in this book, Chapman emphasizes that we must speak the other person's love language. He says, ultimately, comfort is not the issue. We are talking about love and love is something you do for someone else, not something you do for yourself. Yeah. And I think this is where it gets really hard because sometimes like your language is so natural to you and it seems like the right way to express love because that's yours. Right. And then when other people don't do it, it's like you're like, it's so confusing or when they don't understand what you're sort of the message you're sending. But so it's all about understanding the other person, which is interesting because so often this kind of thing is about understanding yourself. This is understanding yourself, but really understand that other person too. Yeah. But I do think if you understand what your own love language is and you communicate that to your partner, then they can do, you know, what makes you feel loved. So you do, it's also knowing yourself as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true, it's true. But here's one thing that I thought that was really interesting that Chapman said is he said, what we do for each other before marriage is no indication of what we will do after marriage. Before marriage, we are carried along by the force of the in-love obsession. After marriage, we revert to being the people we were before we fell in love. Oh, interesting. And this again, you know, Chapman frames everything as marriage, but obviously we're talking about any kind of sweethearts in any kind of long-term relationships. So he he always talks in terms of marriage, but we're just talking about long-term relationships, but... Yeah. Right. So we, we asked people what they what they thought um, and their own responses and reactions and insights with the five love languages. And we got so many fascinating comments. And many people wrote to say how much it had how, how much it had helped them or it had shed light on things. Uh, Hannah wrote in, when I was deployed to Afghanistan as a psychiatrist, I frequently had my soldiers read this book. Marital conflict during deployment was a frequent complaint from my patients. It was also therapeutic and a bonding activity for the soldier and the spouse to go through the book together, a little like a long distance book club. So that's interesting. You don't think about that. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Uh, 
Kayla from Canada says, the five love languages have been very useful to me. I am quality time and my boyfriend is words of affirmation. I can be an introvert and have a hard time expressing how I feel about things he does for me. I now buy cards to give him once a week or so. I write all my thoughts down inside, which I've always been better at, and he gets to know I care in his love language. So that's nice. That's a great thing. And I thought this was really interesting. This is from Debbie, who's a words of affirmation person, and her late husband was an acts of service person. And she said, um, after I read the book, I realized that people often request specific things from a spouse in an attempt to feel loved. For instance, my husband would sometimes ask me to do things that puzzled me. Things like, would you make me some toast? Which I felt was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I didn't say it, but I was thinking, you can't make your own toast? How hard is it to put a piece of bread in the toaster? (laughs) And here's what I thought was most interesting. She thought, am I demeaning myself by making him toast? Mm -hmm. My personal aha moment about acts of service came one day when he thanked me for something I had done for him. He had a great sense of humor, and one day when I reluctantly made him some toast, he said, thank you, it's love on a plate. And a few days later, a bowl of soup became love in a bowl, and the next week, a run to Taco Bell for a burrito became love in a bag. What I, when I realized that doing these very small acts of service made him feel so greatly loved, it was like finding the key to a box. So exciting. So I thought, so both of these questions, they sort of point to the same thing, which is these little acts of service, they, they seem more meaningful to the person getting them, you know, than you might realize. So it's fascinating. Yeah. And she brings up a great point that it's not just once you can sort of have this conversation and know the love language and, and provide it, that you feel more loved. You do also feel more loved by recognizing that the other person is showing love, even if it's not how you most naturally receive it. Um, so it's like doubly good. Yes, yes, you can, you can translate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jill has an interesting observation where she was actually feeling kind of implicitly criticized by her sweetheart's love language until she understood it. So like, this is a really good fix. Jill says, It turns out that my husband Bob's love language is service and mine is words of affirmation. So when he was finishing up the laundry or putting the extra dishes in the dishwasher before bed, I thought he was saying, I have to pick up the slack because you're not thorough enough, a non-affirmation for sure. But he was actually speaking to me in his love language. What a major miscommunication. He is still not so great in speaking my love language, but I now see his little acts of kindness in a new light and feel loved. It helps. It makes me happier. So to your point, like now she's able to translate that in the right way. She was actually getting the wrong message. Now she's getting the right message. Oh, that's great. Renee says, I was devoted to my husband and we were okay together, but there was just something missing. When I realized my love language was quality time and his was touch, our struggles made so much more sense. On his side, he needed more touch, and I grew up the daughter of the English teacher and the principal of my high school in a really small town. My parents, my brother, and I were all in the same building for three years. I was well-trained in avoiding any form of affection display. I shook myself awake in that I was now an adult and would choose appropriate ways to display affection for him, like holding hands in church, a hand on his shoulder as I walked by him, or a random kiss. We also set up a weekly date. I knew that even if I barely saw him during the week from 3.30 on Saturday afternoon until we went to sleep, I could count on his attention. 
We might go out on an errand date. And that's something, Gretch, we talked about in episode 77. Go on an errand date. (laughs) Watch a film together. Have a long chat or whatever. But we were doing stuff together. It offered me good opportunities to practice being more physically affectionate as well. Yeah, yeah. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. So the five love languages, it's about romantic relationships, but it actually helps you with relationships of all kinds, families, friends, children, all over. And so, for instance, Lydia wrote, I'm a gift giver receiver. I love thinking about and choosing gifts for family and friends. However, my parents, brother and sister-in-law are all quality time people. They often don't enjoy receiving gifts, saying I shouldn't go to so much effort. This kind of response doesn't recognize the pleasure I get from choosing and shopping for the gift, but receiving gifts is clearly not their preferred way of receiving loves. So now I tend to give them experience gifts when we get to spend time together. For example, I'll take my dad to a history exhibition we're both interested in or take my mom to a fancy high tea. They might still say I shouldn't make a fuss, but I know spending time together doing something special is more meaningful for them than a physical gift. And I still get the enjoyment of researching and planning what kind of experience I can give. And then she goes on to make this point um, that maybe the whole thing about thank you notes, you know, that we (laughs) discussed it so much like, but gift givers... (laughs) who are so they to them it's a very important transaction and and by saying like well this is just not such a big deal that that's part of why they that's part of what's feeding it and i thought that was a really good insight like sort of two good insights there about gift giving and gretchen the five love languages are really useful in helping understand our children and making them feel loved as well denise made this point she said I really enjoyed that book. My daughter took a class on it in college and my brother is obsessed with it. So we end up talking about it a lot. 
My son left to go on a mission trip for our church in March. Before he left, he told me that one of his love languages was gifts, which really surprised me. His older brother had gone on a mission trip to India, and I never sent him packages because it was so expensive. I would just put money in his account and tell him to buy what he wanted or needed. My son, who is gone right now, is in Mexico. I have made a greater effort to send him packages. He is so happy when he gets a package, and I am really grateful that I understand the concept of love languages and that we could talk about it before he left for Mexico. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, because for one child, it wouldn't be meaningful. And then for another child, it's extremely meaningful. I mean, Teresa also about like sort of understanding uh, and, and, and like then having more patience when you understand her son was six or seven. Um, and she talked to him about the five love languages and he recognized that his language was physical touch. And she said, his answer has helped me to understand him and not be annoyed at him. Like when we were walking on a hot, humid summer day and he comes and drapes his arm across my shoulders. My first inclination may be to push him away and get some space and air around my sweaty body. But if I'm aware, I realize that he is needing some loving touch. And she adds, and I think this is really, this is a really, really key point. Sometimes when a parent, or, and this is true for any relationships, sometimes when a parent is a different love language than their child, they can unknowingly make the child feel bad for their language. Why are you always touching me? Don't pick dandelions for me. Quit asking me if your picture is good. While learning appropriateness and boundaries for a love language is good, children need to experience their love language without shame or guilt. So I think that's true too. Like if someone's being demanding, if it's not your love language, you might think it's like excessive or annoying when you don't, because you're not understanding, like they're asking you to speak their language. So I thought that was a really good point. Yeah. Gretchen, let's listen to a voicemail from Anne. Hi, my name is Anne, and I'm so excited to hear that you're going to do an episode on the love languages. I first investigated that about a month ago um, because my nine-year-old was having a particularly difficult morning, and I, I know he's not the kind of kid who can be soothed with a hug and a kiss, and I'm like, what would make this kid know that I really love him and care about him? And we ended up, our whole family took the love language quiz, and it was so revealing. And now I know that when my 12-year-old slumps, when I tell him to make his own toast in the morning, it's because his love language is acts of service. So when I do that for him, I know that's telling him that I love him. Um, it's been incredible. And my love language is words of affirmation. And since we took this quiz and shared our information with each other, I am getting way more words of affirmation from my family, and it just makes me feel special, and it makes me feel more in tune to how I can show my love for them. What is it about toast? (laughs) All right, Gretch. Now, I want to hear, even though, of course, I already know, what is your love language? And I also want to know what Jamie's love language is. Yeah, so my love language, which I think comes as a surprise to no one, and uh, when I asked Jamie what he thought my love language was, he got it right, which is <laughs> it's good. Um, mine is words of affirmation. That is really what I want is I want I, – I am a gold star junkie. I do really, really thrive on words of praise and affirmation. And Jamie – is physical touch. Mm. Um, he really does. If you met him, you might not think that he would be physical touch because he doesn't seem like a touchy feely guy, but he's super touchy feely. And um, like, even like to the point that I think that's one of the reasons he likes having a dog because it's oh. like, it's another point of physical contact. Yeah. So that's what we are. Words yeah. of affirmation and physical touch. How about you guys? You and Adam, what are you? Well, I am also words of affirmation. Um, yeah. And yes, Adams guessed it right away when I asked him what he thought I was. He was like, affirmation. Oh, that's good. 
Yes. That's good. Um, and then he's acts of service. Oh. And I did guess his, so I was glad <laughs> at least I knew what it was. <laughs> but I have to say, I feel like acts of service is the hardest one. Like, I was like to Jane, I'm like, Re- I really hope he's not acts of service. <laughs> I know. Words of affirmation, I think, is the easiest because that takes no time or effort. But do you feel like you get your words of affirmation? Because I don't always feel that I get mine. No, I don't. I absolutely don't. And I mean, I will say to Jamie, th- and this is the thing that puzzles me. And I was just asking about this last night because I knew we were going to be talking about this. And I was like, I'm like, I have told you explicitly that this is what I crave. And I've also spelled it out for you explicitly that you could manipulate the heck out of me by I would jump through any hoop. There is nothing that I will not do right. to get words of affirmation. So I'm like, just in your own self-interest, <laughs> why don't you try to get me to do stuff by, and he just won't. And I said to him, why don't you? What did he say? The why? He just said, I don't know. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, I don't know. And I said, well, let me lay out some options. Do you not do it because you feel like you don't want to manipulate me? Do you want? Do you not want to do it because you feel like I expect it of you and so you resent it? Do you not do it because you don't believe it? Do you not? And he's like, nah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, well, you know what my theory is? What? What? What is your theory? My theory is that people feel like it's fake and they don't want to say things that sound scripted or fake. It just seems silly to them. You know, like... If you're telling me to tell you you're a great wife, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But, Even though we're saying, yes, it does. I want to hear it. But so here's the thing. And I don't want to get into like a rant against Jamie. But but like one of the things that Chapman says is that when somebody speaks like the negative version of your language, it's particularly powerful because that's your language. And so Jamie mm. sometimes will say things where it's almost like he goes out of his way not to give me words of affirmation that I deserve. So, for instance, we did a renovation in our apartment, which I know you're going through right now. And he looks, he had no part in it, which was fine. Like, I accepted that. He accepted it. Like, whatever. And he looked around the room and he goes, you know, this turned out really well. And I'm like, why? Because the renovation fairy came and did some work? Because I did it. Like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you just say, like, hey, this looks great. You did a great job. I'm like, it's almost like you depersonalize it. I wonder if sometimes if it's like almost like if I give you words of affirmation, I'm acknowledging that you made an effort. And I don't want to, like, make you feel like I've made you do something or that I acknowledge that you've done mm. a lot of work or, or or that I'm putting expectation on you. Like, Jamie never gives me words of affirmation. He also never criticizes me. So I'm sort of like, well, that's good. And so mm. maybe it's maybe it's like two sides of the same coin. Like, he never criticizes me. I just feel like maybe that's the price I pay for not having someone who's critical is I don't have somebody who's affirming because he just sort of maybe doesn't see it as his role to comment like that. And so that's helped me put it in a, into a positive light that Jamie just doesn't do that. Interesting. I think from an outside perspective, it always seems like Jamie really does appreciate you yeah. just in yeah. his manner. Yeah. yeah. So... Who knows why he, it's interesting. But here's another interesting thing is I think if you do a pretty good job on all the five love languages, a like a lack in any one language is mitigated. Mm. And Jamie's really good. He, and he does give some words of affirmation and he's really good on all five. So he's showing love in all different kinds of ways. And I, and I pick up on that. So I do feel very beloved um, because he, is, he does do acts of service. He does have physical touch. He does have quality. He really will go out of his way to have quality time. And so I feel like if you're doing a pretty good job overall, then maybe it doesn't matter if you're kind of like uh, uh, lacking 
in some way. I don't know. Okay, now how about you? What about you guys? Well, I definitely need to up my acts of service. I mean, I know because I talked about this with Adam the other night again, because we were going to have this conversation. I mean, he, I think he doesn't even feel like I'm at neutral yet with acts of service because he still doesn't feel like I'm, you know, cleaning up enough just on my own, like taking shoes to the bedroom and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that he would rather all that happen than that I, you know, go get him dinner. But I think if I could just get to that neutral place, then he would really feel loved by anything above and beyond that I do, if that makes sense. But, but, but the, but you you have come so far. I know, which I pointed out <laughs> I mean, to him. I'm like I've come so far, and he admitted that I had come so far. Yeah, he had he he agreed with that. The problem is you you sort of have different standards. Yes, and and so you're striving to meet his standard, but it's so far different from your own standard that it's a struggle. Yes, um, you know, and at the same time, I am the person who says just. Tell me this. Tell me X, Y, or Z. I want to hear it. And I think he feels like, well, I'm just telling you a script. That doesn't seem very good. But I'm like, yes, I want to hear the script. But (laughs) it was a we had a great conversation because we were both like, well, yeah, we would benefit from speaking each other's love languages more. So we'll see if uh, we up our game, you know. And I think, um, like you said, though, that we also have like the other languages it's not like they don't exist like touch and quality time and all the other things um so it's i do feel loved but i could feel more loved with more words of affirmation (laughs) (laughs) well so listen i think um you know we heard from a lot of people who were frustrated yes yes and i think your point is that if you even if your partner isn't expressing your love language, if you start expressing their love language more often, they might in turn do the same for you, even if they aren't immediately doing it. Right. And that's all we can do because the only people that we can change is ourselves. And so um, so it can be a great way to illuminate things and to have a conversation. And like you and Adam having like this and Jamie and me having kind of a neutral conversation when we're like in a calm place, not like in the throes of an argument. You know, maybe over time, too, it sinks in or you just sort of understand what's going on better because it's tricky because it is we all have the language that we speak and that comes most naturally to us. And so sometimes it's not that easy to switch languages. Um, so so anyway, we, 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 we've only scratched the surface. We've got so many fascinating observations, examples, questions, insights um, about the five love languages. And, you know, and we still want to hear more. So you know, let us know about your response to the five love languages. Maybe this is the first time you've heard about it. So you're sort of processing it. Like, how did it work for you? And, uh, and or, or if you have other experiences about it, we would love to hear further thoughts and observations from people. As always, Twitter, Facebook, email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to happiercast.com slash 80 for anything related to this episode um, and or to look up any other episode. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your 
time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So Gretchen, you are up for a demerit this week. Do you have a five love language demerit? <laughs> I do. I do indeed. Um, because uh, as I said, Jamie is physical touch. And so it's really important for him to get like a lot of physical touch. And um, in, in our household, usually Jamie goes to sleep after me. Like I'll often t- uh, go to sleep before he does. Um, but the other night I was like hanging out with uh, my daughters, Eliza and Eleanor, and we were watching the Mindy Project. And he yelled out that he was going to go to sleep. And so um, and I was like, I'll be right there. Because usually like in our family, like you, everybody tucks everybody in, which means you come to them and you say goodnight and everything. Um, but the episode had just started and it was a really funny episode. So mm. I didn't go up until it was over. And by then, you know, he was asleep. And um, so I didn't really get to have my moment of like, you know, putting my hand on his back and giving him a kiss and saying goodnight. And then he had a horrible night's sleep. And I was thinking, I wonder if it's because he did not get that loving goodnight from me. If like that, that kind of kicked things off in a bad way. And so one of my things from happier at home is to always like give loving hellos and goodbyes and 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 to really like engage with people at those moments and saying goodnight is a really important time and so it made me realize oh i really need to make sure that we have a moment of physical connection um mm, yes to say goodnight. Touches his language yeah, yeah because touches his language so that's really especially important to him how about you do you have a, you have a lovely gold star for the five love languages? I'm going to give Adam a gold star uh, because, you know, as we say, people who they tend to do their love language to express love yes. as well as to receive. So Adam, as I said, is acts of service. And um, we've been staying in our guest room because of our renovation and it has this really heavy comforter. And you know, Adam kept saying this comforter is so heavy, it's so hot. And I was like, yeah, it is, but I wouldn't have bothered to do anything about it (laughs) because it just wouldn't. And then I went out of town for a few days. um, And when I came back, Adam had gone to all the effort to change out the comforter. Ah. And it was like a new day. I mean, it was <laughs> having a lighter comforter has so changed my sleeping experience. I didn't realize just how burdensome this heavy comforter was because it was like, even if you pushed it off, it was then like weighing down your feet, you know, that feeling of <laughs> yes. having like this heavy thing on your feet. Um, whereas now it's just this light cloud. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, it was something he did. It's a huge pain to do that by yourself because, you know, it's like shoving the comforter into the duvet cover. Yeah. It's uh, really kind of an onerous task. So I give him a big gold star because I know that's, again, his way of showing love is to do something like that. Um, and I really did appreciate it. And I did not want to do it myself. So gold star to Adam. <laughs> Yes, you, the five love languages in action. Yes. Uh, and that's it for this very special episode of Happier. We hope that this discussion of the five love languages has been helpful as you think about your own relationships, your romantic relationships, your family relationships, your relationship with your friends. Uh, and again, if you have any further reflections or illustrations, let us know. It is just endlessly fascinating to see these things play out. 
Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer, who let us know that she wants all five love languages in her upcoming marriage. No pressure to her um, almost husband. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you want to give us some words of affirmation, which we very much appreciate, um, you can rate and review the show. And if you don't know how, I will post a link on happiercast.com slash 80 with very easy instructions on how you can give us those words of affirmation that Elizabeth and I both speak. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.